unstoppable kick-ass confidence. Are you ready? Welcome to the Raw and Unscripted Show with Christopher Roush, where we help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Now please welcome our host, Christopher Roush. Don't you just love that intro music? I picked it out all by myself. Yes, I actually went online and picked out the music. It took me like days and days and days, but I wanted something rock and metal and edgy and get you pumped up because guess what, ladies and gentlemen, you're at the Raw and Unscripted Show with Christopher Roush, yours truly, your No Excuses Coach, where I help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? Hello, everyone. I hope this video, this message right now, whether you're watching it live or on the replay, finds you doing well, doing awesome feeling like you're invincible, you're unstoppable, all right? Um, we have a great show for you tonight. But first, uh, I am going to just talk a little bit about mindset and opening your mind to new beliefs and new beginnings because, listen, ladies and gentlemen, it is September. As of the date of this airing, it is September 8th, 2020. And if you've been, if you haven't been living under a rock, you know we've been going through COVID for the last, oh, I don't know, five months since March. And, you know, this is a time, this has been a time of, for me, extreme growth, extreme uh, open-mindedness to new beginnings and new things in my life. And it's, you know, we're nearing, you know, the last part of the year. And I just ask you guys, you know, how has this been for you? How have you been doing? Have you been growing? Have you been learning? Have you been stepping outside your comfort zone? Have you been bonding with your family? Have you been learning new skills? Have you been trying new techniques on whatever it is? I know for, you know, a crazy one is my wife has been experimenting with food and doing a great job. She's really becoming a chef at her skill. So she's taking this time because we can't go out to dinner. She's like, okay, I'm just going to go online and I'm going to see some recipes and I'm going to figure out what's going on. And you know, that is really a cool thing to do. She's growing herself and she's also taking her mind off of other things. So, you know, what is it that, that's been for you? And as we approach the last part of the year, you know, there's never, there's never the greatest time to change your mindset, but the best time to change your mindset is right now is when you're deciding, okay, where is it that I'm going and who is it that I want to be? Who is it that I need to become in order to achieve those goals to truly be unstoppable? And I've been doing these coaching calls, I don't know, since the beginning of, of COVID laser strategy calls with people just to keep people inspired and empowered in their own life to make sure that what they're doing is, you know, going towards their goals and not going away from them. And, you know, I just implore you guys to really just consider what it is that you can do in your own life, in your own space to make your, make yourself stronger, make yourself more resilient, make yourself more unstoppable. And if you need somebody to talk to, of course, you always have me, but, um, you know, what is it that your mindset's going to be? For me in September, I start planning for the next year. I start thinking, okay, 2021, what is it that I want to accomplish? Where do I want to be physically, mentally, spiritually? And that's one thing I've, I made the decision last year is now that every September I'm going to take until um, Thanksgiving to clean my body. No booze. Go, hello, Colleen. Good to see you. No booze, no sugar, no gluten, um, no junk food, you know, exercise six days a week for at least 45 minutes. And that can be a combination of just 45 minutes of cardio or 25 minutes, cardio, 20 minutes of weights with stretching, some meditation in there or yoga or Pilates or whatever it is else it might be. So I'm taking this opportunity to cleanse my body. I've had a great summer. I've drank beer. I've had Jack Daniels. I've had pizza. I've had all sorts of stuff. Summertime was kind of like my 
fun time. And now it's gearing up for what's going to be next year. And that's what I really implore to you is don't wait until January to set your goals. Don't wait until December 29th to figure out what you're going to do for the next year. Start your planning right now. Get involved. Get get um, get active in what it is that you want your life to become because we make these New Year's resolutions, right? And be honest, how many times have you stuck with them? How many times have you really stuck with them all the way until the end? I know that Colleen has. Good evening, Colleen. Thank you so much. Um, you know, so that's, and if I could be of help with that, you know, reach out to me. I'm still doing the coaching calls and everything, but, you know, really look at yourself and look at your life and where you want to be. Stop focusing on the news and all the bullshit that's going on. Just focus on you. You know, that's one thing I've noticed in this time is that so many people are so encumbered with everything else but themselves. And how do you expect to be strong? How do you expect to be unstoppable? How do you expect to be resilient if you're constantly focusing on making sure your husband's happy or your kids are happy or your mother-in-law isn't happy or your, your, your boss is happy? What about you? I was talking with somebody this morning. Uh, we were talking about the airplane mask thing. I mean, I know it's cliche, but again, why would they tell us to put the mask over ourselves first and not our kids? You know, that is such uh, a euphemism or whatever you call it. Um, for us in life. But so many people I have talked to this year alone, when I ask them, like, do you love yourself? Yes or no? They have to pause and think about it. I'm like, on a scale of one to 10, how much do you love and respect yourself? Six, five, seven, you know, you should be operating around an eight, nine or a 10. You know, that's not unrealistic. That is not selfish. That is actually taking your own self and putting you first, because guess what? If you're operating at a five or a six, right? the love for yourself, the respect for yourself, how much you give yourself time, energy, investment, and personal development. If you're giving yourself a five or a six and you love your daughter and your husband and, and, and all these things, all these people more, then guess what? You're not giving them your full best. So how much do you really love them? If you're just like, if you're exhausted and you're tired and you're grinning through it and you want to make them so happy, but inside you're tired and you're crying and you're, you're, you're doing all that stuff. How would you expect to have a kick-ass life? How would you expect to maintain that over the long haul? Hey, what's up, Larry? Good to see you, buddy. Good to see you. Thank you guys so much for being here. I appreciate it. Um, you know, how much, how much can you last? I mean, one thing that's one, one comment that has scared me, not scared me, but it's actually caused my mind to open up and think is like, this is the youngest I'll ever be. I want you to process that for a second. This is the youngest you're ever going to be. And whether you're like me, I'm 51, going to be 52 in February, hopefully, um, you know, this is as young as I'm ever going to be. So I, right now I have to make sure I'm taking care of my foundation. I have to take, take care of my mind and my body and my, and my health. And that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this, this new healthy eating plan and this mindset program. It's actually a program I'm creating. If you're familiar with 75 hard, I did that last year and it was a ball buster and it was great. But I'm more of a guy that likes to have a little fun. I like to I like to set things up as a as a reward, you know, um, situation. So like, okay, so I'm thinking about this. So I'm creating this program. I'm putting myself through it right now. I'm not going to tell you all the details, but I'm going to work it all out. And then I'm going to offer it to you guys because while 75 Heart is great, I felt that it was just a little too strict. I think you should definitely do it. But for me, I want to be able to create something that says, hey, if you do three needle movers today, or, you know, you move yourself out of your comfort zone today, I want you to get some sort of reward, some sort of recognition and something you can actually be able to do with your life and, and take that and run with it. So for me, I get excited about like, okay, if I bust my ass and do this, then, you know, I can have a piece of pizza later or whatever. One piece of pizza is not going to kill me. Two pieces of pizza are not going to kill me. If I thank you, Colleen, you rock. If, if I go and eat a whole pizza and drink a bottle of Jack Daniels and have a plate of cookies and wake up the next morning and have a, 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 a 70 million calorie breakfast burrito. That's what's not going to be healthy for me. But 
If I do those things and I actually make it and my life is actually, and I feel better, guess what? I feel better. I move better. I'm more cognitive, cognitively aware. Sorry, I can't talk today. More cognitively aware. Um, you know, it just truly makes a difference in what it is that you're going to do and make an, make a difference in your outcome. And the last thing I'll leave you with before I bring on my guest, I see he's in here, um, is the fact that your sleep, right? I used to think sleep was overrated. I used to say, I'll sleep when I'm dead, quoting Bon Jovi. Uh, and I, I actually thought that. I'm like, okay, I'll sleep for, I used to you know, get three or four hours sleep, two hours sleep, and wake up and be a rock star and keep on going. But then I started realizing as I got older, I'm like, wow, I can't do that anymore. And then I started studying deep sleep and REM sleep and light sleep and figuring out, okay, actually, as you get older, you, you get less deep sleep. And that's where your restorative sleep comes in. So if you're not getting deep sleep, then how do you expect to feel great in the morning? How do you expect to wake up and be like, all right, it's a new day. I'm going to go out there and do this. You know, I wear this aura ring. It's actually a sleep. It actually um, tracks my sleep. So every morning I wake up, it tells me my readiness score. It says, okay, if you had good sleep and your heart rate was down and your body temperature was down and you got, you know, a balanced night's sleep, it says your, your readiness score is like a 90 or 89 or something like that. And it's so true because when I don't drink and I don't have bad food and I'm exercising and I'm taking care of myself, I'm hydrated, my sleep score and my readiness score are through the roof. But I guarantee you, if I have alcohol or if I have bad food or if I eat sugar before I go to sleep, my heart rate stays up, my readiness score is like a 60 and I feel it throughout the day. So you have to invest in yourself. You have to invest in your body and your mind and it's all a complete package. And we take that for granted. We think that our body is going to last us forever. We think we're going to be young forever. We think that we play the someday game. Oh, someday I'll take care of myself when this is happening or that's happening. And Colleen knows all about that. I mean, she's gone through the 75 hard program. I mean, it's, 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 it's really a phenomenal program, but tonight I am excited to bring to you a guest who has an amazing story. We have him on here. Um, let's, uh, let's not waste any more time. Derek, what's going on, man? How are you doing? What's going on? Sorry for about the issues right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, no worries. You know, as a, as a host, it kind of puts you in a weird, awkward position when your guests can't get on. But uh, I'm glad you're here tonight. And um, and I wanted to, I was going to check with you before we went on camera. So it's Derek Canis or is it Canis? Yeah. Canis, you're right. Okay, cool. Well, how are you doing tonight, Derek? I'm doing good now that we got in. Um online. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes technology is a bitch and sometimes it's an asshole, but uh, no, thank you for being here tonight. I appreciate you sharing your time with us and being here live. Um, you know, you, we, we had met over uh, a Skype call or a zoom call not too long ago. And immediately when you started telling me your story, I was like, okay, this guy has to come on my show and, and share this because, you know, I can sit there and talk about motivation, inspiration, and being unstoppable. And I can share my stories but really having guests on here who have been through tremendously more challenging situations than I, and that continue to exhibit that unstoppable attitude, people like yourself, that's what excites me about, you know, doing this show is that people can sit there and see and change their perspective about, you know, so often we're looking at what we don't have as versus what we do have. And I just want you to jump right in and just kind of share your story about where you've been um, in your life and some of the medical situations that you've had. And then we'll kind of pick it apart from there about mindset and beliefs and, and what we can do to inspire the people that are watching this right now. At the time of this taping, like I said before, we're going through COVID. We got the social injustices. We got the political elections here in the States. We got a lot of things going on and people are hurting. People are suffering. People are wondering where their next paycheck is. They're going to come, how they're going to make their mortgage. And so really what I want to do, Derek, is to, is to 
to take your story and take your perseverance and your beliefs and instill those in the minds of people right now who are just feeling totally uncertain. So please, my friend, uh, I'd love for you to share your story with us. <clears throat> all right. So to start the story, we got to jump in the time machine and go all the way back to 1985, which is Ooh, where the story the starts. Yeah. Back to the We've got to hit. We jump in the DeLorean and go to 85. Right on. And I'm three, I am three months old, and my family is being told that I have a heart murmur condition, and I am sent on to Augusta, Georgia to be checked out. And it's there that they discover what I actually have is called transposition of the great arteries, which means the blood flow was going backwards. So I was getting unoxygenated blood back out to my body and oxygenated blood was just cycling around the heart. I was what was known as a blue baby in the eighties. Oh, wow. So, mm. so they rushed me into a surgery <clears throat> and on the way, my family learns that I'm going to need probably some blood throughout the time being there. And they argue kind of back and forth. We'd like to donate. There's no time. This is very urgent. Let's keep the, we've got to go. So they, you know, just signed off on, let's get the procedure done. And <clears throat> I got through it. And it, three months is how long I was in, in recovery. Three months stay in the hospital after successful surgery. Well, not totally successful. <clears throat> because during the surgery, they um, they interrupted the stenatic node of the heart, which is the electrical system. So I had to have a pacemaker implanted. I'm currently on number five in the pacemaker market. <laughs> so you were three months old. I want to just clarify that and for a second. Three months old, and you had to stay in the hospital for three months <clears throat> and get a pacemaker at three months. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Mm -hmm. So my, I make it home. My family now has a battery operated kid. I'm sure they were, sure they were thrilled about that. And um, life just kind of went on. I mean, I was always kind of a smaller kid in school. It didn't really bother me. I was very good at keeping up. And uh, I have a cousin that's three months older than me or younger than me. Sorry. And so I had a good monitor of where I was and where he was, you know, health-wise and strength and salmon and all that. <clears throat> and I kept up with him. I was taller than him till about eight, nine years old. And that um, is when, if you look in pictures, you can see something started really happening that I wouldn't uh, find out the full capacity of what that was until I was 16 and I had had a pacemaker implanted the third one and came out really rough I they had to do CPR on me to uh, to wake me back up I didn't come out of anesthesia well at all wow. and I couldn't go to school I had a very bad go away and I went to a pulmonologist which I had never seen before and immediately when I walked into his office, he said, what medical conditions are you dealing with? And I was I just, I said, I've got a bad heart. 
And he proceeded to explain to me, your heart has nothing to do with your size and weight. Why are you standing in front of me at almost 16 years old? You're four foot tall and 55 pounds. Wow. So this guy, yeah, this guy ran me through a battery of tests until he exhausted everything on his pulmonary front. And he he ended up sending me to the University of Florida, which I don't know if you can see behind me. That's not a place I was very happy to be. I was not thrilled to be there. Yeah, I know my buddy's a dogs fan, a Georgia, Georgia dogs fan. I went to one of their games and yeah, I heard about the rivalry. So that's, but that it's something to be said. But uh, again, in the medical situation, I'm sure they didn't probably give you too much crap for being a, a Georgia boy, did they? Um, I, There's a story I'll tell you in a little while that we'll get into that. But I got there and um, they sent me to a endocrinologist. And I started on growth hormone shots, human growth hormone. If you remember about 10 years ago, when all the baseball players got busted, Mm -hmm. they weren't using steroids. They were using human growth hormone. And it really works because it was about maybe a year, year and a half. I grew a foot taller and gained over 50 pounds. So the stuff really does work. And um, my doctor was the head of the department. So what was happening was they would take my medical records and they would black out, you know, the, all the personal information and they would give it to students and say, you have a patient that appears with these, with this, what do you do? Where do you go? One girl in the class um, saw that and she said he had multiple blood transfusions in 1985. And there's no record of an HIV test. So it was sheer, it was sheer luck that um, I was asked to take the test. And two weeks later, it came back positive. And um, it was earth shattering. 16 years. I mean, it was 16 years. Yeah. And At that point, I mean, the damage had been done. I was diagnosed with AIDS. I mean, there was no, you'd have HIV. It was, no, you're in the last stages of what we can even quantify in the book. So. So did that start? So there was a. That was. That started a timeline in my mind of, all right, there's a clock literally hanging over my head now. And um, so I met a whole new team of doctors and they gave me, I think, two weeks to kind of go home and deal with the diagnosis and all of that. And then it was, you're coming right back here and we're starting. And it went straight into the hospital, and I was run through what would be two weeks of literal hell. Spinal taps, I mean, MRIs, they they checked everything. And I had lived with the virus so long, it's actually encoded in my DNA. That's how 
that's how damaging it was. But they got me on a big med regiment, and I bounced back really, really quick. When they got to me, I had what they said pretty much was no immune system left. And wow. they got me meds, and they rebuilt it totally. And they knocked the virus all the way down to undetectable. Seriously? I didn't even know there was actually, I mean, I know that people are living longer and I know there's not necessarily a cure, but talk to me about, I mean, just for my own benefit, what is, so usually somebody is diagnosed with HIV and then it could turn into AIDS, but in your situation, they just said it was full blown AIDS and that you had had it since you were approximately 10 years old. No, and said somewhere within the three month hospital stay, I had 15 blood transfusions between the surgery and the recovery. So somewhere in that 15, we don't know if there was one batch that was bad, if there were multiple that were bad. I still to this day do not know. But I, I at that point, it had been a full 16 years that I'd been living with it. And that's why growing that's what stopped the growth i mean my body was so concerned with fighting this virus it didn't grow wow and what was your mindset at that time because you were dealing with the heart issues you had you know at that point up to what three pacemakers right three pacemakers yeah, yeah. you feel like you feel like okay i've got that situation figured out and then you go and you talk to this guy you're you're four feet tall 55 55 pounds they put you on hgh and all of a sudden you pump up you're like all right cool i got the ticker figured out i'm i'm, bul I'm bulking up this is all great oh and by the way you, you you have aids i mean what was how did you feel at that moment i mean just getting knocked down and being that way through your life did you feel like okay, now at least I know what it is and now we can treat it. Or we, did you just give up hope or are you just like, no, let's, let's, let's keep tackling this too. I, um, I just shattered. I mean, there wasn't, I don't know. Um, I just completely shattered and I did what we're doing now. I put headphones on. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just wanted to be left alone. And my doctor figured that out really quick. I wouldn't talk to him half the time. I would sit with my headphones. I, just, I would just, you know, leave the leave whatever you need to tell me on the table. I'll read it in a minute. But I just, I've lost faith in everything and everybody around me because that diagnosis just, the only thing I could do was insulate. And that's what I did. I just went complete. I don't want to be touched. I don't want to be bothered. Just leave me alone. And I slowly crawled out of that because I was at the University of Florida. And a lot of the nurses are 19, 20 years old. So they were close to my age. And that's what really got me through it was talking to them, was being able to go, hey, I'm not crazy, am I? <laughs> for feeling, you know, certain ways and being as angry and just beaten, broken and all of that. And they were the ones that would go, that, that happens to everybody, not just in the medical side of it. But, you know, I was just starting to figure out who I was. I'm 16. And right. then that, that comes in and it just smashes it.
And thankfully, I'm kind of thankful for that now because it gave me a chance to redo whatever I was or thought I was going to be or was starting to become. I got a chance to kind of pick up what I wanted and what I felt I needed and <clears throat> just rebuild from there. What did that, what did that thought process look like, Derek? I mean, how did you go through your mind? You're 16 years old. Were you into personal development books at that time? Did you have a mentor? Who were some of your stronger support people that, that, that guided you through that? Or was that something you just said, all right, this is a reset time. I'm going to beat this too. I'm going to, I'm, I'm planning on living. So this is, this is my, my, my first break, uh, to, to, to regroup. Talk to us about that. It was actually the fact that I grew up in the 80s and early 90s. So I I really like the Rocky movies. I like Terminator. I mean, all of that stuff I grew up watching, I was, I was just, in my mind, I always wanted to be that. So that's what I kind of picked up. I said, you need a lot of stubbornness. You're going to need... You're just going to need that ability to turn off and just put your head down and go <clears throat> and be able to say, yeah, this is going to hurt. It's really, really going to hurt. But that became a, can I do it? It was a personal challenge. There's actually, I've always told people there's two different versions of me. There's Derek that di was diagnosed and beat up. And then there's Derek, who I named myself when I came in here. <clears throat> and they don't like each other. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's built to keep me alive. Because Derek has to go through surgeries. And then I've got this ego character that can go, I bet you can't. And that just hypes up the other one. So. so you were, so you were using the hero character. Cause I've heard that quite a bit. I've heard it. I've heard positive things about it and I've heard some constructive things about it, but that's interesting that you're, that you're, I would think your superhero side would be like, come on, dude, you can do it. You could do it. But he was kind of like punking you saying, Hey, Derek, you can't do it. You can't do it to get you pissed off so that you would do it. Is that an accurate rephrasing of what you yeah. said? Okay. Yeah. So I, I've you're always, I, I've always said that, um, like, even when I go into surgeries now, I always have to have the surgeon say something mean to me. I'm always like, tell me I look bad. Tell me I look like shit. Because you wake up for a surgery, you don't get to, like, get your hair right. And, you know, you're not, you're not, you don't look the way you normally look to everybody. You look like you're ready for surgery. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's nothing pretty about it that's. It's a rough thing, and usually your ass is hanging out the back of a gown. So, <laughs> yep. So I always have to joke with my dog. I'm like, "Tell me, I just look bad. Like, don't let me go to sleep thinking that I got this. Let me go to sleep with a little bit of fire in my belly, so I can wake back up." Gotcha. Gotcha. So what, what, during that time, you, you talk about Rocky and everything, what would you say was your, your theme song? Did you have a theme song, like something you would listen to, or what would you describe now that your theme song was to get you through that? Was it the, was it the Rocky soundtrack or was it some other, you know, eye of the tiger or, or something that you would listen to that was like, all right, we got this. We're going to do this. Um, I listened to a lot of Metallica, like inner Sandman was a good one. 
Fuel is another good one. Mm-hmm. Give me fuel. Give me fire. Give me that which I deny. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I mean, the high tempo, just you know, run through a wall stuff is what I need. I ha- I've got to have that. Pantera. Ooh, Pantera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Run through a wall stuff first. <laughs> Yeah, I've got to have something that gives me that momentum to push through whatever I've got to push through. Right. Okay. So you're you're 16. You you're you you're doing these things. So what happens next? I mean, walk us. So 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 they get it to where AIDS is undetectable in your body. You've got your third pacemaker. You're 16 years old. Or you know what what were some of the next steps in your life to kind of like okay is that over or do I have more stuff? Did you did you return to normalcy or did you find normalcy or has it just been a constant? Okay, then there was this and then there was that. Well, I quickly learned that I couldn't balance the meds and school and all that. So I dropped out of school and I just went ahead and got a GED. And so I just, I took that off the table. I was like, that's one less thing. Because when I was diagnosed, it was 22 pills a day. That was taking 22 pills a day. Holy crap. 7, 11, 3, and 11. I will never forget those four times because that was a couple, that was years of that schedule, that med maintenance schedule. And how many pills do you take now? Three. Yes, well, that's the boy right there. Well, five, five, sorry, I lied. Five with the heart and um, with the cardiac stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Man, that is that is incredible. We actually have a we actually have a question. We have a Mark Gasser, one of my kick-ass brothers, are here. Says, "Go for it, Derek. Kick-ass. Use that inner superpower, of course." Thank you for sharing that, Mark. Colleen, thank you, Mark. Colleen says, "Did your parents try to file a lawsuit against the hospital?" Great question, Colleen. Yes, we did, and um, those documents are all online. You can read it. I don't know if anybody's seen the Richard Joel movie. Richard Joel. Uh, doesn't sound familiar. The Atlanta bombing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That newspaper um actually wrote some really harsh um articles about me. Say what? When I was, yeah, when I was going through court, that that newspaper is pretty ruthless. What in the possibility of mm, why why how would they have something negative to say about you? Uh, I think one of the headlines was that we were chasing a payday. There was one that was, why are you doing this? You can't be fixed. I mean, the and the articles weren't as bad as the comments on the article. So the newspaper was rough, but the comments were even rougher. Mm. Wow. So who, 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 who was your strongest advocate during that time? I'm sure your family, but were there certain members of your family or did you have friends that did you have like a good support group that was getting you through all that negativity, not to mention the health stuff, not to mention the 22 pills. Um, what was your support system like? Uh, family, a lot of, a lot of family around and friends. I mean, it's, I've lost a lot of people after the diagnosis, but I've, I've gained a lot more. And, um, so it's, it's not, it was, a kind of cleaning out the closet. If you really want to be honest about it, you, 
you know who's really there and who's not. I have experienced that many times in my life, actually. Yes. And that's, that's actually a good thing. That's actually a good thing. I look at Derek, I look at things like a, a chapter in a book, like we have certain phases right. of our life. That's a chapter in our life. And sometimes, you know, I truly believe in the old saying that people come into your life for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And, you know, sometimes it's okay to say, Hey, you know, that was then this is now that was a great time, but you know, I'm moving on, I'm changing, you're changing. And it doesn't mean that there's any ill will, but at the same time, if people aren't there to support you through your toughest moments or share in your greatest triumphs, then you got to let that door close and keep your mind open because there's so many other people that can come into your life for that chapter or for that season or for that reason or for that lifetime. So yeah, I applaud you, man, to, to, to be looking at that and to, to continue always looking where it is that you're going and not where you've been. So, uh, so talk to us. So you got your GED, which I did too. So that's, that's cool. Um, did hmm. life come out, did life starting getting normal for you or what was, what were those, those, um, uh, those, those next few years? Did it, was it better or were you still struggling? It actually got a lot better. I, um, see, I was diagnosed in 2001. So that's right when computers started having CD burners. So that was a big thing I started doing was making my own little mix CDs and giving to friends and giving to family. And, you know, it kept me busy. It just, it was something to do because it would take you all day to download one song. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. If the CIA is watching this, that never happened. But I mean, everybody was doing it. So, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, the um, some of those CDs started making it into the local little clubs, and I didn't know that. So, some of my friends started getting me into these clubs to meet different people, and I was twenty, nineteen, twenty too young to be in that room. Mm -hmm. But if you, go, if you go with the right people, you're kind of taken care of. Mm -hmm. And I was, going, I was going in with a very good friend of mine that uh, was great. And she would sing karaoke and she knew the DJ. And when I met him, he goes, your CDs are great, but I have no clue what these songs are and what to play and what to play when. I said, well, if you don't mind, I'll hang out and I can help you with that. But I want you to show me what that computer does and what this mixer and all this and how this works. So I kind of angled my way into a DJ booth. Yeah. Not only, not only for me, but for my friends that were going out because they wanted to hear their songs. They wanted to hear certain songs and certain music and certain energies in the night. And I knew how to do that. And word um, kind of started to spread. The CDs ended up getting everywhere. And one fateful night, I was sitting just bored looking at a karaoke book, wasn't really thinking anything was going to happen. And I picked a song that I didn't know at the moment where it changed my life. And it's hilarious that it did. And you're going to laugh when you hear this because everybody does. Can you? Girls just want to have Ice, Ice Baby. Oh, yeah. Ice, Ice Baby. Nice. Why I was that song? Why did that song change your life? 
because I didn't even need the video screen. I knew every word way before they could even start it. And this was when camera phones first came out. Right. So there's there were videos of me, and I took off running through this club with a wireless mic and had everybody standing up and screaming and singing along. And the next night, I went, I went home. I didn't think anything about it, and I'm sitting at home, and I get a phone call, and it's the owner of the club. And he said, you've got to come back. <laughs> Because I've got a hundred people that are sitting here in front of me saying, where's that guy at the thing last night? And he said, I didn't get to see it. And I want to see it. I said, well, I want to be a DJ. <laughs> he said, it's done. Just get back here. Just get back here. And that's how a DJ career started was just kind of making friends and showing my ability to work with a crowd and hype people up and to, it just, it's something I could never recreate, even if you gave me step-by-step -step instructions. It was it just, it out just right. Awesome. So, so essentially what you were making were mixtapes. So it wasn't your music. You were taking and just like creating a, 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 a situation, an experience, like, okay, I'm going to play ACDC early in the night, get people going. And then I'm going to switch it over and maybe play some dance stuff. Was it something like that? You were just like, okay, I know where the energy is going to be and what people are going to dance to, or was it partly your own music as well? I just want to clarify that. No, it was exactly how you said, like I knew energies from nine o'clock to 2 a.m. And I knew when to play what mm -hmm. I was very intuitive in that ability of I could and I still can to this day. I can walk in a room and see a room full of people and say. 60 percent of the people in here would love to hear this song right now. And now thanks to those touch tune jukebox jukeboxes. I can actually prove that point when I'm with people because I can get on my phone and say, Hey, play this. And then you look around the room and you see the effect. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. So I have a question. So going back to the superhero comment, was it, was it Derek that was rocking the mic and, and running around the club or was it Derek? It was every bit Derek. That is nothing but, ego and charisma and just kind of a middle finger to everything that Derek is. It's totally not me. It's the exact opposite of me. Me not on stage is shy. I don't really talk to people. I just kind of put my head down, mind my business. But if you put headphones on me and put me on a stage, you're going to see and feel like you're at a concert. Right. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I want to, uh, I want to acknowledge that, uh, um, Colleen once again, uh, yeah. Amazing spirit and spunk. I love it, Derek. Um, love your spirit and spunk. So cool. Thank you, Colleen. Thank you're you, amazing. Colleen. Colleen's a super rock star. So Colleen's Colleen's, uh, Thanks, Colleen. she is. So I, I find that interesting. I want to dig into that a little bit because I have heard of people sitting there saying, okay, listen, I have this alter ego that I, before I go on stage or this alter ego, you know, before I go do something crazy that it just inspires me to have that, um, that energy or that, that thing that I think I'm missing. But how, I mean, explain to us 
how they're that are separate. I mean, that's one thing that kind of because I've never done that. I've just always had to like, okay, I'm gonna become Chris. I don't give it a name, but I'm just like, I'm gonna become Chris who doesn't have a fear of speaking in front of thousands of people. I'm gonna become Chris that can walk into a networking room and and handle it. Not when I don't, you know, really feel like it or I'm not, you know, into talking to people. So I do it a little bit that way. But is that something you've recommended to other people and has it helped them? I don't know if it would help. I don't know if I would recommend it. It's probably a very bad coping mechanism if you really think about this. It's probably something that never, ever should have happened. And I, I'd never been to a therapist or a psychologist. I just never had the time to make it down to one. I probably should because there, there probably is a lot of things that could be worked on and fixed. But at this point, I really want to yeah I'm no, okay. it's really, i think it's great man I, I i don't think i don't think there's anything wrong with that i think we have to do what we have to do to get through the moments that are challenging for us so i think that if you create that i've actually thought and played around with it as well i just recently read a book and i'm kind of i'm trying to remember which book it was but in that book they talked about that like who would you be if you were a superhuman and what would what skills would you have to be able to like walk into a room or you know some people have a problem with being alone so i would be you know people would say oh i'm comfortable being alone because i'm this so i don't think so i think dude i mean we're having, we're, we're still at 1920 and I already have mad respect for everything that you put yourself through. And now you're like, okay, now I'm taking all this stuff and now I'm becoming D rec and I'm, I'm rocking the mic. Talk to us about what happens next in life. Next. It's a lot of, uh, club hopping. I went from one club to, I became the guy. If a club was getting ready to open, I got the call to be the opener. Because I knew so many people in town. I could put, hey, this place is open in this state. I'm on stage. Come on. And I could put a line of 150, 200 people out the door to the point that cops would show up and have to tell people, like, there's no chance you're getting in here tonight. You have to clear out. So there was a lot of that. It was a lot of me jumping from one club to another. I didn't stay in one spot long. I stayed maybe the longest stay I did at a club was three years. And it was a, it was the largest club. It's on uh, St. Thomas Island. It's named Ziggy Mahoney's. And we could hold uh, 700. Wow. And, no shit. Yeah. Oh, I got some video. I've got some videos and stuff I can send uh, to you to show you what that looks like. I would love because that. I was on a platform stage. Up, dude, that's I'm on awesome. a platform stage above the. I mean, it, so it was very, it was a very rock star style kind of setup, and we were the bachelorette hub. That was the place where bachelorette parties just always landed. One night I had eight, and that was one of the largest nights. And uh, my boss still has a video of that to this day because I had probably 35 girls on stage with me, and I had a secondary mic set up, and they're all singing Shania Twain. Um, feel like a woman at 12 at midnight just rocking it out and there's a crowd of hundreds you know that are just going crazy watching this 
Mm. Sounds amazing. How are you doing health wise? Were you all good and strong and pacemakers working? Everything's good. Are you still feeling the effects of childhood and going through all that crap? How are you feeling? Now? No, at that point, you're you're on stage. Are you are you like healed and good and now you're strong? Or are you still struggling having situations come up? Or, you know, talk to us a little bit about that. Um, at that point, I was before I got to Ziggy's, I was at another club, smaller, but same scenarios were playing out. And I was just go, 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 nonstop. And um I finally got a phone call from a cardiologist that said, We haven't seen you in a couple of years. And we're just kind of curious. So if you could come in, that'd be great. <laughs> because they know, they know at this point that I look at them more as an inconvenience. No, no offense to any doctor, but I've been through so much. Like, I don't want to stop. It's so hard for me to get momentum. I don't want you to stop it. Mm-hmm. I don't care if the intentions are good. And um, I went in and they got the pacemaker checked. It was fine. And six months later, I went back and I thought I was getting punked because the nurse came out and checked my, put the little pulse locks on my finger. She looked at it and I'm not paying attention. And she um, walks away. She said, let me get another one. She brings another one, tries again. That one's not working. Comes back with a blood pressure cuff and a, checking it manually. And they throw me in a room. Doctor will be in in a minute. Lay down. Lay down flat. And I'm sitting up on the bed. I'm playing on my phone. Mm-hmm. My doctor walks in and he goes, you don't listen at all, do you? I said, not usually. What's up? <laughs> I said, well, he said, your pacemaker is dead. I said, what do you mean dead? If it's dead, I'm dead, right? And he looks at me and he said, you're not totally wrong in thinking that. He said, your heart's at 33 beats a minute. Wow. And the sleep. I was running two miles a day two weeks before that. And they explained it to me as it was the first time I had got to experience life without a pacemaker. So that's why I was feeling so great because a pacemaker's job is to keep you here mm-hmm. and not you go above or below that. So when I was able to go above that, I was feeling fantastic. And it was a little bit of an argument and I got the pacemaker and it was a in and out day or two. I think they had to shock me back into a normal rhythm. That was no fun. I don't recommend anybody ever having to have a cardioversion. That's not okay. fun. It's not fun to get shocked. Ooh. And <clears throat> so I went home and I was back on stage within 36 hours. Wow. My shoulder was all bandaged up. It was the first adult pacemaker that I had. So they put it in my shoulder. Oof. And I'm uh, I'm on stage and I'm not thinking and I start moving like I'm normal, fine, okay. And I pop three stitches out of my shoulder. And I feel it. 
and I feel mm -hmm. blood start trying to trickle down my shirt. And I run to the back. There's first aid kit. I got somebody to watch the booth. And um, I just bandaged as rough and as it looked awful. It looked like just somebody threw some band-aids and some gauze, which is what I did. I just and went on. And at the end of the night, um, one of my waitresses was luckily a nurse. And I pulled her aside and I said, I, I probably need your help. <laughs> and she looked she looked at it and she said, Well, luckily they um they stitched the inside and they um glued the outside. So you're fine. And there was luckily a medical glue in the kit and she just glued me back up. And but that scar on the corner is a little bit wider than it should be. And my cardiologist um, asked about it, and I had to be honest and explain that I was an idiot and went back to work before I was supposed to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Wow. That is, that is so tremendous. Uh, Colleen wanted to know, she wanted to say, she wanted to say, uh, I want to hear what you like to spin. Ooh, that's DJ talk. I like the dubstep stuff. The dubstep style remixes is what I uh, I do a lot. They're just really fun. They're high, pumped up energy. Early in the night is pretty laid back. It's you're gonna hear, you know, a lot of '60s, '70s stuff, and then gradually as the night goes on, if it's a club, the music's gonna get younger as the crowd gets younger. That's just the way it always is gonna happen in a nightclub. The earlier in the night you get the crowd that's a, you know, they, the '70s, '80s crowd comes out early, and then you move up through the 90s, 2000s, and today. Mm -hmm. So are you, still, are you still DJing now? I mean, talk to us about where you're at today. I mean, it's such an amazing journey. Are you DJing? I know you're an author now, so I want to talk about that for, for a minute. But how are you doing today as of now? What's what's the latest with with uh, Derek and DRAC? I'm kind of in bunker mode as uh, with the COVID situation. I've... Uh, I've talked to all my doctors and they are um, very happy that I'm doing that because I'm usually the opposite. I would I would take every opportunity and I've I've slowed down enough. I've I guess aged a little bit enough to know that yeah, don't take the risk if I don't have to. Because Sorry. I don't I, d I don't do well in hospital beds. For somebody that has spent so long in hospital beds, you think I would be better at it. But I'm terrible. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I criticize nurses when they put IVs in. I mean, that's how long, how many times I've been in the bed. <laughs> You're like, did you use a half butterfly or did you use a seven point or? Yeah, like, did you not see the vein here that's better than the vein you went after over there? And I mean, there's scars on my arm that, I mean, if you could be blind and set an IV on me, if you really, really felt and just took your time, you could find where the spot is. Right. 
So are you, so right now you're not DJing, but are you doing anything like live? And, and also I want to talk about the book. You, you have a book, right? I want to make sure. Yes. Um, yes. Okay. Sometimes I have a brain fart and I talk about the wrong guest because <laughs> I'm, I'm planning into October right now. So I've got a bunch of information in my brain, but, uh, so are you, are you spinning any tunes? Have you, did you continue on with the DJ career? Uh, the DJ career is continuing, but it's being delayed. I have rescheduled the same wedding three times this year because of COVID restrictions. So, I mean, I'm still planning to do it. I'm currently not in a club because I just, there's too much risk involved with that. Yes, Unless yes. somebody gives me a plexiglass case with my own ventilation, <laughs> I'm not going to want to go do that. Yeah, no, that's smart. That's smart. So, um, so talk to us about the book. The book was, uh, just, it was a project that I had always had kind of in mind of the stories were so just crazy. When I became an advocate and started looking around, there wasn't anybody that had a story like mine. The only person that comes close is Ryan White. I was thinking about and that. <clears throat> and he sadly didn't make it, you know, out of his, out of his teens. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just, I felt like I need to tell this story because it's, there's a vacuum when it, in the advocacy world of reruns. I hate to say that, but it really is. I mean, how many times, can you hear the same person speak and it hits you in the chest every time? It's just not going to happen mm -hmm. unless you're going to a different audience. And that's what a lot of these uh, conferences don't do is they reach out and invite the same people. So it's the same reaction. And they, they keep spending all this money to tell the same story to the people you told it to last year. <laughs> it's, it's very true. I've seen I some am. of those bills. Yep. I mean, I like watching the same movie a couple times too, but year after year after year, you start losing not people, but you lose the efficacy and the power behind your message. It's true. It's true. I mean, I, I, I was, I was called on stage so many times to tell my story about being homeless and I'm like, I get to the point and it's like, that was 30 years ago. I was like, you know, it's so much time. And I, and I don't sell, I don't sell it with the same intensity anymore because after you've said it so many times, you know, you kind of like, okay, that was then this is now, but you're right. You know, they should get different perspectives and different opinions on that. So that's what inspired you to write the book is to be able to, to reach a larger, broader audience with your, with your message. Yeah, so it was, a, a, and to be able to tell stories that uh, were personal stuff that people hadn't really known, and a that, I mean, just that stuff, there's a lot of stuff that I kept close to the chest that, unless you were really close with me and my family, you didn't know. So it, beca it became just a, let me explain why I'm, how I am, like I am, why I am, like I am. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. It's such a, such a, such an amazing story, Derek. And, and thank you so much for just sharing it all with us and just inspiring us. I mean, you, you're literally the, the epitome of unstoppable 
And, you know, you, you face so many different challenges. You face so many opportunities where, you know, you had to get outside of your comfort zone. You had to figure it out. You had to assign a, a, an alternative ego to yourself to, to get through those, those challenging parts to, to really live and experience your life. What do you say to the people, you know, you must come in contact with people like, oh, oh, and they, you know, they don't know your backstory and they bitch about the littlest things or they, 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 they bitch about something, you know, a lot, like I said, a lot of people that, you know, nowadays are going through a lot of things and I don't say that they're bitching, but you know, a lot of people are going through things right now. What do you say to people who, who, who haven't been through what you have been through and you want them to be inspired? You want them to know that they're capable of so much more. How do you speak to them in that, in that tone to get them pumped up? Well, I used to, anybody that worked with me hated working with me because if they had a cold or sinuses or something and they would mention it in the group, I would just walk past and go, yeah, bummer. Let's go to work. Because I'm not, I've always said, like, I'm not the advocate you want to meet right after a diagnosis. I'm not that guy. I'm the guy you want to talk to when you've had, you know, four, six months out and you're in, you got it kind of handled with the meds. And now you're just sitting there going, well, what's next? Well, what's next is you just have to put your head down and you're going to have to keep moving. And nobody can do that for you. And I'm the one when it comes to that, that they come to when it's uh, all right, how do I do that? All right, here's your playlist. Here's the movie list. Here's the video game list. Here's, you know, all these things. If you want different, and, and it all works. There's no right or wrong way to do it. But I'm, I try to always tell people, like, keep that, keep the things that made you laugh and that make you happy. It, just because you were diagnosed with something doesn't mean you can't laugh anymore. And you're not the words that are in a file. You're not the words that are written on a medical file. Nobody is. Love that. Love that. You're not the words in a medical file. That is brilliant. I mean, they're just words. They don't. I mean, and the thing with HIV and with AIDS is there's such a, it's seen in such a bad light. Like, and COVID has brought that back up because people were experiencing COVID stigma where if they were diagnosed with COVID, their friends would, would still, even after they had tested negative, would not want to be around them. Mm. It's the same. It's the same with HIV, except the COVID, you know, you do have a timeline, you know, when it ends and you know, you know, you've got a pretty good chance of beating it. My situation, I, I'm in it. It doesn't change. It's not going to evolve. The only thing I can do right now is, I mean, it's, it can only get worse. And I have to make peace with that. And I make peace with that by every day waking up and just going as hard as I can at every opportunity. I chase down every opportunity to share my story. That is, that I is chase so it and run out of it. Because I don't know. I mean, when every time I lay my head down on a pillow, I don't know 
hell, I'm waking up. Am I going to wake up and be in so much pain I roll over and go back to sleep? Or am I going to wake up at 6 and be ready to rock and just going all day and emails and calls and getting it all done? I don't know. So people will look at me like I'm crazy because when I can, I will do 18, 20-hour days. When I can't, I can't. Right. Wow. That's, that's, that's a, a lot. And that's a lot of balance. You and you learn it, you know, day by day. I don't ever I don't plan a lot of stuff out real far in advance because I just don't know. I can't tell you that I can make it to an event or a party in six months. I just can't. I mean, because the pacemaker could all of a sudden just die. I've done it. I've seen it. And the fifth pacemaker is the craziest one that I had because that one came about through a Facebook memory. Say what? I was uh, DJing just being a wild man, basically. And I got a Facebook memory that said eight years ago. And it was a picture of me and my mom in the waiting room when I was getting the fourth pacemaker. And I had not seen the cardiologist at all. I'm sure I had an appointment. I'm sure I just didn't look at it. I didn't pay attention. I didn't care. And I finally said, I should probably check this. And so I got the machine out and I tried to check it. Wouldn't work. Wouldn't work. So I called the company and I told them what I had and what I was trying to do. And the guy on the phone, he said, the funniest thing to me, he said, you're trying to send a fax and we only take emails now. So we have to send you a new part to go with that machine so you can send a report. So Mm -hmm. I had to wait a couple of days and I got the new part in and I checked it. And my cardiologist called me, not thrilled. And said, yeah, it's time. It's past time. Time was two years ago. You should have been here two years ago. I was living on borrowed time. <laughs> and so they um, they brought me in and they put the new pacemaker in and I had to go back so they could program it and they were going to do a bunch of other stuff. And they were going to do a cardiac ablation and cardiac aversion, which is where they shock you back into rhythm. The ablation is where they send a catheter up your leg into your heart and it burns all the little rough spots in your heart to create a clean electrical current. It took eight hours. I was in for eight hours. And I woke up out of that and scared to death. I woke up mid transport. So I woke up going down the hallway with nurses all around. I was able to look back and see my doctor. And we're running. We're going. I'm just seeing hallway lights above me. And everybody's talking about me. And nobody's talking to me. Right. So I I immediately freak out and grab my doctor. He just happened to swing his leg just right as I reached. And I was able to grab the coat. (laughs) And so. 
in the world did something go wrong. I was scared. And they rolled me into the room and he said, it's almost eight o'clock at night. I said, I got here at six in the morning. How does that happen? And then they, um, they got me in the bed and that was the longest night. I, I didn't sleep at all because I was just reading about it. And basically, it's like working on an engine that's running. They didn't stop my heart. I wasn't on a bypass machine or anything. So I was like, how in the world? So I was dumb and I'm sitting on my phone looking up this procedure and watching videos and I'm freaking myself out so bad. The oxygen monitor starts beeping and nurses flood the room <sighs> thinking that something's going wrong. I'm like, I'm just dumb and I'm reading about what happened to me. Because I feel like a train at me. But luckily, I I was out the next morning. My doctor made me a promise. He said, you'll be out next morning. And um, he got me out early the next morning. He actually took the day off. I was discharged uh, by somebody else. He sent me a letter. He had wrote me a note before he left office that said, I love you. I'm tired. I'm not there, but I'll call you and check on you. And um, it's important to have a medical team like that, that understand, like, I can heal better if you get me out of here. If you get me home, I'm better. And I immediately freaked out when I got home because now after the ablation, I had to learn to breathe again. I didn't realize I didn't know how to breathe. (laughs) I had lived so long with a bad heart, I forgot how to breathe. Wow. And I had had to literally sit and learn to, all right, deep breath, deep breath, and, you know, just keep, I was so used to shallow breathing and not getting the oxygen rate where it needed to be. It just, it was comfortable. And this, and it was so dangerous. It was extremely, extremely dangerous. And now I know better, but I, I've learned the hard way. I'm extremely stubborn. I said that earlier. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's a good thing. I mean, that's what's kept you alive. I mean, your story, Derek, is absolutely phenomenal. We're, we've reached the hour point in our show, and I try to keep them to an hour for respect out of the viewers and everything, because right now it's, uh, what is it, probably uh, 11 o'clock in, in Eastern Standard Time. But where can where can people get a, a get a hold of you, get a copy of your book, and be able to continue the discussion if they have people in their life that maybe they want some advice or they want to know what your playlists are or whatever. I've got, I've got a range of different types of people. Where can they get a hold of you and where can they get your book? And DerekCanis.com, D-E-R-E-K-C-A-N-A-S.com. And right at the top of that page has all the social media links. So you can find Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, even Reverb. If you want to hear some music mixes I've personally done, they're on Reverb. Oh, dude, I'm going to link's right there. there. Awesome, awesome. Well, Ka- Colleen says, uh, love y'all. God bless you both. I have to go do my workout. She's doing 75 hard again, so uh, she's got to do it. So thank you f- so much, Colleen, for hanging in here. And all you guys. Uh, thank Darwin, you, Colleen. 
Angel, uh, Larry, Pamela, um, uh, uh, Mark, Ellie, Nicole. You guys are all just phenomenal, phenomenal uh, friends of the show, family of the show, and appreciate you so much for sticking in here and watching Derek and I talk about you know, his amazing story and his inspirational story. Um, so yeah, go visit his website, go check him out, get his book and just get involved and just, just more, mostly take, take this opportunity to, to, um, to realize that you have the power to, um, change your life. Derek, I'm going to place you backstage for just a second. I'm going to end the show and then I'll, I'll talk to you for a second. Um, so there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the raw and unscripted show with Derek Canis. Uh, an amazing individual with a powerful story. And if you don't walk away from this moment in time and listening to Derek's inspirational story and his, his perseverance and his unstoppableness and his, and his stubbornness and the fact that, you know, he did what he had to do to get through this period in his life and create that. Maybe that's something that you might want to consider for yourself. Maybe if you've been lacking confidence and, and you're, you're feeling like something, maybe play around with that and figure out what you could do. Maybe this person or this alter ego can help you out. But most importantly, just, you know, obviously take care of yourself. Obviously make sure that you're, you're invested in your health care and that you're knowledgeable. Like, like Derek said, you know, I got back and I real I want to figure this out. I want to know what's going on. I want to be able to help those, those individuals that maybe if they need help or whatever it might be to, to prolong your life, you know, you have to be invested in that. Don't just trust what doctors say. Obviously there's situations where they could be wrong and thank God for that, that, that student who said, Hey, maybe this is what's going on. You know, so go out there and live your best life. If you guys need me, you know where to get a hold of me, Christopher at ChristopherRoush.com. Of course, we're here live on Facebook. We're streaming on YouTube as well uh, to LinkedIn. So we just appreciate you guys spending your time with us. Ask questions, leave comments in there. We'll be checking the, the replays to answer any questions that you might have. But again, go talk to them. Thank you so much, Angel. You guys rock. And we will see you next time on the Raw and Scripted Show. Remember, stay kick-ass and stay on stop.